Today's reading is taken from Matthew chapter 24, verses 23 to 35. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive. If possible, even the elect. See, I have told you in advance. So if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the desert, do not go out. Or, here he is, in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east and is visible even in the west, so will the coming, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, their vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of the Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Now, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs become tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Um, my name is Stephen. This is Eliana. She'll make a few appearances, I expect. Um, yeah, so as Sophie said, uh, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Keys to Faith. Um, you may have forgotten, because we've had a couple of weeks off. I think it was Harvest and then whatever last week was. Um, but we're back in it. And if you can cast your mind back like three Sundays ago, Ian, who's here somewhere, spoke to us right at the back. Um, <coughs> about how to keep going, and that's sort of what I'm following on from. But this morning's key to faith is have an eternal perspective. And I'm going to start by telling you a couple of stories, but before I do, a couple of caveats. First of all, I'm colder than I expected to be, so I'm sorry if my hands end up in their pockets quite a lot. Um, secondly, this is quite a dense passage. There's a lot of sort of scary images in it, and crazy things going on. And I'm not going to have time to fully explain everything I say. So if you're new to church or to the Bible, and I say something that sounds really weird, come and ask me about it, and I'll do my best. But hopefully it'll all make sense as we go. And third, I can't remember what the third thing was. So we'll pretend there wasn't one. Um, so, I saw uh, a video once, and probably a lot of you will have seen a similar thing, 
And it was this like um, behavioral experiment that they did on um, a group of children. And the setup was that they would take these kids, they were probably, I don't know, six or seven years old, something like that, they would take them into a room and they would sit them down at a table and there'd be a plate on the table and a single sweet on the plate. All right? And then the adult would explain to the child, I'm going to leave the room, I'm going to go for five minutes, let's say, um, and if you want, you can eat that sweet. But if, when I come back in five minutes' time, that sweet is still on the plate and you haven't eaten it, I'm going to give you a whole big bag of those sweets to take home with you instead. Okay? That was the situation. Now, if you'd asked any one of those kids in that moment, which one do you want? Every single one, I'm sure, would have told you they want the big bag of sweets. But the parent goes out of the room, the adult, sorry, goes out of the room and almost all of them eat the sweet from the plate, as you're probably not surprised to hear, right? Some of them last a few seconds, some of them almost make it to the five minutes, but almost all of them eat it. That's story number one. Um, story number two is that I've had a couple of children over the last couple of years. There's one at the back and one over there. Um, and I was able to be there, even during lockdown times, and that was amazing. And sort of seeing my two babies be born were like the most incredible moments of my life, probably. Also, two of the moments where I felt the most useless in my life, because there's not really a lot that you can do as the man in that situation, other than being there and just saying supportive things and giving the occasional back rub. You're pretty limited, right? Except that the one thing that you are told to do and that every expectant father is told to do in that situation is you have to remind them to breathe. Breathe with them. Now, Joya knows how to breathe. She's been doing it her entire life. But in that situation, there I am, sort of straight face, staring her dead in the eye and telling her, in and out, in and out. Because what those children with the sweets discovered, and what Joya discovered, and probably what all of us at some point in our lives have discovered, is that at times, our immediate circumstances can overwhelm us and cause us to forget even the most sort of basic enduring realities that last. <coughs> Excuse me. Our sort of current situation that we're living in can rob us of our long-term hopes and dreams. And we lose our sense of perspective. And that's very real for a lot of us at the moment, I'm sure. A lot of us are finding present circumstances quite a challenge with the cost of living and everything else that's going on. Um, I've been trying to figure out my pensions recently. I've changed jobs a few times over the last few years, and um, I knew I had pensions, but I didn't know where they were or how much was in them or anything about them, really. So I spent a bit of time tracking them down and putting them all into one place, and money goes into them. And I know how important it is to put money into a pension. That's a really good thing to do. But it's hard sometimes to stay committed to that, right? And to sort of 
appreciate the importance of that money that I'm not going to see for 30 or 40 years when my present reality is that every month the bank balance creeps towards zero and I could think of a hundred other things that I'd like to use that money for, but it goes into the pension. <coughs> so that is part of what is going on in the passage that we just heard today. Jesus is warning his disciples not to get distracted. He's telling them that some scary things are going to happen, and we'll unpack that a bit more in a minute. Um, but they have to stay alert. They have to keep their perspective, their eternal perspective. I'm sure many of you will know from experience, it is very possible and very easy for two people to have two completely different perspectives on the same thing, to see it in completely different ways. Two of us could have completely different perspectives on what a Bible passage means, or how to raise your children, or fill in the blank, right? Um, you've probably heard, maybe you haven't, the sort of analogy of these group of people that are blindfolded and they're sent into a room and they're asked to spend a couple of minutes in the room, they're blindfolded, and then come out of the room and describe what was in the room, okay? Now, what they obviously don't know is that what's in the room is an elephant. But they go in blindfolded, and they spend their time in there, and they come out and they describe it, and each one of them gives a very different account, because depending on which bit of the elephant you discover, you're going to have a very different experience, right? The one that grabbed the tusk is going to describe something very different to the one that grabbed the trunk, or the tail, etc. It's only the person who is not blindfolded, who has that broader perspective, who can see the elephant, he knows what's in the room, and it's only that person that can make sense of all those seemingly contradictory, different individual experiences. That is the role, one of the roles, that Jesus plays for us. He sees it all the end from the beginning, and he can make sense of all of our individual stories and situations and how they all work together into one thing. So I'm going to try and do two things. I could use some water, and I forgot to bring it up with me. Can somebody hook me up? Thank you. Um, I want to unpack the passage a little bit because it is a little bit of a, a frightening read um, with a lot going on. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about an eternal perspective and what that means, thank you, Margaret, and what that might look like for us and cast a bit of a vision. Um, so, I'm not going to read it again, but you'll remember that it was all about stars falling from the sky and there were scary things going on. Um, and if you zoom out a bit and you were to read the whole chapter and try and put it in its context, it doesn't get a lot easier. The whole thing is a bit crazy. Um, there's vultures and carcasses and stars falling from the heavens and the Son of Man coming on the clouds um, and all sorts of things going on. Before we worry about any of that, we'll start at the beginning because you'll have noticed that the passage starts with this phrase, at that time. And if you ever read a passage that starts with a so or a therefore or a in view of this or anything like that, 
it's a good idea to go back and figure out what's going on and what we're in the middle of, because we're joining Jesus halfway through something he's talking about. When he says, at that time, he's referring back to something that he is in the middle of discussing. So you look back or scroll up and find the start of that um, bit of the Bible, and what's going on is Jesus is with his disciples. They're leaving the temple in Jerusalem, and Jesus turns back and he looks at the temple and the surrounding buildings, and he tells his disciples that there will come a time where it will be completely destroyed, and not a single stone will be left stood on the other. That's a big deal for the Jews, right? The temple was a big deal. The temple represented God's dwelling place. It was where heaven and earth overlapped in the Jewish context. It was the focus point of all their worship and all their rituals. So to hear that it's going to be destroyed is like hearing your world is going to come to an end, right? It's a fundamental change about how everything that you're familiar with operates. Jesus tells them this is going to happen, and they ask him, when? And how will we know it's coming? And Jesus starts to answer those questions. He starts to explain to them what's going to happen, what the build-up to it will be like. And he's talking about at that time. There's other stuff going on in the passage as well, but it's worth bearing in mind, a lot of what he's talking about is the destruction of the temple. That happened a long time ago in AD 70 when the Romans, who were the occupying empire of the day, overwhelmed the Jewish defenses and they sacked the temple. But what Jesus is also doing is teaching his disciples how to go through that, how to live through that experience where your world crumbles. And he's given us all then a blueprint of how we can do that as well. So the language of this passage is a bit cosmic and a bit fantastic. And that's partly because Jesus is leaning on this Jewish tradition of what's called apocalyptic literature. Joy and I had a lot of fun yesterday trying to pronounce apocalyptic correctly, and it's hard to say apocalypse. So if I start accidentally talking about the Acropolis, just <laughs> go with me. So we're not used to apocalypses in our sort of modern Western culture. It's a genre of literature that we don't really have a lot of anymore. Um, but an apocalypse is basically a prophetic vision. And it tends to be a vision about the end of something. And it could be the end of the world and the end of time. Or more often, it's like the end of an age. So it's a significant historical event, like a punctuation mark in history, where something fundamentally comes to an end and it changes everything and it's a prophetic vision about those things, okay? Um, so, apocalypses, the language of an apocalypse is deliberately sort of hyperbolic and bombastic, and it's trying to convey the magnitude of what's gonna happen. It's a vision of a sort of paradigm-shifting event, and it tries to get that across by telling these incredible stories of destruction on like a universal scale. So that's why you read about stars falling down and the earth being no more and all those sorts of things. Um, maybe some of those things will literally happen. I don't know. But these are prophetic visions of these significant events. There are a handful of apocalypses, 
like dotted throughout the Old Testament. Jesus references two of them in the passage we've just had. Um, the first, so there's verse 29 from, from Matthew 24. Is that what the reading was? 20, yeah, from Matthew. Um, and Jesus says, The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And that is a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 13. And then very shortly after that, he alludes to another Old Testament apocalypse, and he uses this phrase, uh, the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. And that is uh, a little nod back to Daniel chapter 7. Now, if you look at those two passages in your Bibles, you don't have to, I'll tell you what they say. Um, Isaiah chapter 13, in my Bible at least, it has a little heading at the top of the whole section, and the heading is a prophecy against Babylon. Babylon was an empire. It was the archetypal empire, the original empire that enslaved and oppressed the Jews. Um, Daniel chapter 7 is this crazy dream that Daniel has, and it's full of monsters and all sorts of fantastic things. And then Daniel interprets his own dream, and he explains that the dream is about the destruction of the kings of the earth, the big rulers of the day. He has a dream about how, basically, they will pass away. Their rule will be no more. So Jesus knows what's coming. He knows the Romans are going to invade and overrun the temple and destroy it. And as he talks to his disciples about that, to prepare them for that, He's referencing back to these two Old Testament stories, which are all about how empires ultimately won't last and ultimately won't win. So that's part of what's going on with the crazy language of this passage, is he's leaning on these Old Testament apocalypses to give some context. These are passages that his disciples would have been really familiar with. And given the context that, yes, it's going to be hard, you will suffer. But these empires, these kings that rule over you now, it won't last forever. They will pass away. He says it this way, that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now, there's all those Old Testament examples, but we are also treated to some apocalyptic writing in the New Testament. Apocalypse is a Greek word. It means a revelation. So no surprises that the Apocalypse in the New Testament is the book of Revelation, um, which is right at the end of your Bible. And if you were to be familiar with those like Isaiah and Daniel passages that I mentioned, you'd feel very comfortable reading the book of Revelation. Because it's a lot of the same language, a lot of the same images, and there's monsters all over the place. Um, now, there's a lot going on in the book of Revelation, and I can't explain it all, and it would take forever if I could. Um, but part of what's going on, part of what that book is, at least, is a polemic against the Roman Empire. This is John writing subversively, writing in apocalyptic code um, to basically critique the empire of the day and tell this sort of fantastic tale of its ultimate downfall. It's John reminding his readers, the early church, the first couple of generations of Christians, of followers of Jesus, 
that yes, we're going through a hard time, yes, we are suffering, but all of this will pass away, and the only thing that will last is the kingdom of heaven. Our eternal perspective that can see us through the overwhelming present-day circumstances is that the only permanent thing is God and the kingdom of heaven. Nothing else can win. Ultimately, things are going to be redeemed, put back into their rightful place and their rightful relationship with God. The book of Revelation tells this terrifying story about beasts and the devil and people with marks on their foreheads and those that are judged to be unrighteous are thrown into a lake of fire. Um, And right before the end of the book, death and Hades themselves and a whole load more people are thrown into a lake of fire. And the lake of fire is called the second death, um, which sounds scary and a bit terminal and a bit irredeemable. um, But that's not the end. It's right near the end, but there's like a couple more pages in your Bible. And you can keep reading from there. And John tells us a vision then, after all of that, he tells us this part of his vision about a new heaven and a new earth. And in it, he sees a new Jerusalem. Um, And there's no temple this time, because God doesn't need a temple. God just lives with his people in the city. And it's this incredible place, and the streets are made of gold, and there's milk and honey everywhere. Um, But then... He says this about it. He says, by, this is about the new Jerusalem, by its light the nations will walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Now, up through to that point in the book of Revelation, the nations and the kings of the earth have not come off well. They are the enemies of Christ. They're the ones that are thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, But here they are um, and they will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night. So its gates will never be shut. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. And then skipping slightly ahead into the very final chapter of your Bible, which is Revelation 22. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city, And on each side of the river, there stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. This is after the lake of fire. This is after the second death. This is a vision, John's vision of eternity with God. And it's a vision of a city where the gates never shut. It's a vision of a river flowing out and a vision of healing still for people as they bring their glory in. That is our eternal hope that puts everything else into perspective. There's not a person you can meet to whom that gate is not open. There's not a situation or thought in your head or place on this earth that can't be redeemed and put back into right relationship with God and made into something beautiful in his new creation. And that is your invitation to play your part in making all things new. And I pray that that would be our perspective and the lens through which we would see the world as we go from here. Amen.